Welcome to the Ex-Good Girl Podcast. What is an ex-good girl? Someone who has decided to stop making other people comfortable at her own expense, to stop abandoning what she wants for her life out of fear of what other people will think, and to stop pretending that everything is fine when it's not. If you're a woman who feels exhausted by constant people-pleasing and perfectionism, and you're ready to stop but you just don't know how, you're in the right place. I'm Sarah Bybee Fisk, the Stop People Pleasing Coach, and I will teach you what you need to know to get out of that constant cycle of doubt, guilt, and resentment, and into a life that feels powerful and free. Enjoy the episode. You are listening to the X Good Girl podcast, episode number 20. I have been so excited for this episode. And anyone I tell about like the content of this episode, they just get this look in their eye like, ooh, that is going to be good. I'm so excited to have Hannah Carlisle and Michelle Call with me today. Hannah, will you introduce yourself first? Yeah, of course. So I am from a little teeny tiny town in the middle of Western Wyoming. Um, Very, very heavily Mormon population. There were maybe five kids in our whole school that were not members of the church. And they were like the scary, like, didn't talk to them because they were really scary because they didn't go to church. So that kind of gives you a background of where I come from. Um, So I was raised in the church. Um, Actually, my family was very over the top about the Mormon church. Um, My dad thought he was a prophet of the next level of the church. Um, So the terrestrial church, he thought he was a prophet of that church. Oh, okay. Yeah, lots going on there. Lots going on there. Um, There just wasn't really any room for any sort of question about sexuality at all, just because of how densely the church was packed around my life. Um, And not only that, living in a conservative state in a teeny tiny little town where everybody knows your business, um, that really just kind of, it was just never an option to even think that there was any sort of discussion on sexuality. Um, So that's just kind of like my childhood, my earlier years. And then I went on a mission I got married to a man in the temple. Uh, and then a few years later, I had a few oh shit moments. Um, kind of realized that maybe I was not attracted to men at all. And I was only attracted to women. And kind of just went from there. Um, and we kind of just landed here. So. Okay. We are definitely going to get in, into that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And. I should have just said in the beginning of the podcast, the reason I invited you both here today is because I want to explore this idea with you of coming out later in life. Um, All the three, what the three of us have in common is we were all raised in the Mormon church, but anyone who's listening that comes from any kind of a conservative background, whether it's religious or otherwise, are going to identify with this idea that these are the rules and you don't break these rules. And both of you have managed to do that and navigate away from them. And so that's that's what our conversation is about today. Michelle, will you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. I'm excited. Me too. Um, I, so I currently live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I am married to my wife, Kathy, and we have two children who are 12 and almost 10. Um, and my story is kind of similar. I, I grew up in a very mainstream LDS family. I actually grew up in Colorado and, um, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of the, of my story you want, but I will just say it, it, it was, it took me a long time to even really have any inkling, any kind of conscious understanding of what was going on for me. And as I look back and, you know, as the, as the pieces came together, I could see that I sort of always knew that I was gay. Um, and the mental gymnastics required to, you know, live happily and in connection with my family, um, were, you know, I was just really good at making stories that about what was happening for me that, um, uh, could explain 
what was going on in a way that could allow me to stay connected to my family. And then it wasn't really until many years after I left my house that I could um, really explore what was going on for me and even just kind of know myself uh, and, and kind of claim myself in that way. So I was probably, I think I was 27 when I came out to myself and kind of later when I came out to the rest of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because both of you, like Hannah, you said there were some, oh shit moments. And Michelle, (laughs) you said like, there was something going on inside of me. Hannah, what, what were some of those, oh shit moments? Right. So, so kind of like Michelle, like looking back now and after lots and lots of therapy, like, oh yeah, I remember this memory. Right. I can see now that like, I've always like known, like since I hit puberty, probably since those feelings start to churn and stuff, but like, because of where I was at, it was so repressed that like, that was not an option. Um, but it's kind of funny cause I'm a very avid gym goer. Um, and I remember sitting at the gym and I was sitting there. So let me back up a little bit. I'm, I have ADHD, so I'm kind of like here and there and everywhere. Um, Perfect. so I came out as bi first. Um, for about a year, I was out to friends and family and <clears throat> to my ex-husband as bi. Um, I was sitting in the gym. This is one of the, oh shit. I think that I'm just gay. Um, I was sitting in the gym like 5am and like looking around the people who go at 5am are the people that go at 5am every day. Right. So you see the same people every single day. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at all the people at the gym, just kind of people watching. And I'm thinking to myself, I recognize all of the women here, but I recognized zero of the men. And I was like, that's, that's something, that's something I don't want to think about that. And within the same week, my, one of my best friends, I was talking to her on the phone. She is by, and I was like, you know, if, you know, my ex-husband ever died, I would never date her again. And I was like, mm, that combined with the gym thing, I don't want to deal with this right now. But here we are. <laughs> yeah. So Michelle, what was going on inside of you? Um, you know, I think by the time I was probably eleven or twelve, I was I was having the same experiences that my my straight girlfriends were having with boys. I was crushing on. I I, I wasn't able to. I wouldn't have said it this way, but I had a hyper focus on girls and, you know, I was, I couldn't figure out why at a sleepover people wanted to go sneak out and go be with boys. I just was <laughs> in hog heaven. I was like, what, well, this is what we're doing, right? This, this, this <laughs> so I think, you know, around that age for me, I, I was really, um, and because of the culture, because of the culture of Mormonism, in particular, and, you know, the, the culture at large also, I mean, it was a much, it was a different time. And I, this was, you know, I'm 52 years old. So this was, you know, the times have changed a little bit in terms of what was acceptable. I don't think I consciously knew a gay person period in my life. Then I, I really didn't, there's not one human being in my world that I could point to and say, that is a gay or lesbian person. <clears throat> so there were, um, I mean, so in some ways it just couldn't really be known to me, but I was having the same kinds of experiences. I was riding my little bike up the hill to somebody's, you know, to girls' houses. And I mean, I was just doing all the kind of crazy, like um, super hyper-focused on, on my friends and on, um, and on people a little older than me. I had this, you know, I was crushing just like my friends were crushing on the boys that were two or three years older than them. And, and I mean, basically what happened for me is I had to employ some strategies to um, like, I really picked up food as a, a way of coping with all of this dysregulation. I mean, I just, I knew at some level that this, something was not okay with me. That was the, mm-hmm. that was the message. It was like, there's something about how you feel that is of course the organization is right. Of course your family is right. So this has to be about you and what you need to either ignore in yourself or fix in yourself or whatever. And, uh, so I, 
I mean, one of the things that happened for me was I picked up food as a way of soothing myself. And then I created a, a, what happened with what I could do with that then is create a body issue, a weight, mm. thing, a struggle around weight that could be my focus and it could just take my eye off. It's kind of, and I actually see this as incredibly wise, <laughs> you know, and unconscious. Yes. yes. I see the wisdom and how this played out, but I, um, this was a way I could then join with the women in my family. My mother and I could then, mm. on, you know, we could join with this problem that we both were dealing with. And I could kind of be off the scent of this other thing for a long time. And then that just, that just, you know, um, really dominoed into all kinds of other issues, but it never went away. Obviously I still, I, I also went on a mission. I fell in love with my companions. I had all, I mean, there's just the, the drama of this kind of invisible, um, experience just trailed with me throughout my life. And I felt very, very ashamed about how much I, how much I loved people. You know, I thought that I was like too much and I couldn't sort of identify this is about your, your sexual orientation. So it had to be about me just being weird and off and too much. And, um, so it just, it caused a lot of problems, you know, it caused a lot of, um, other problems because I wasn't able to just own and understand myself in that way. I love that you can recognize now you you're a therapist and a life coach. And so you have some training here, but what I love so much about what you said is you can now see the wisdom of young Michelle needing to, to have some distance from this unsolvable problem. Exactly. Exactly. And so in, in that wisdom of needing some, another way to, be distant from it, another way to attach to your mom and to have something calm in common with yes. her. Connection. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I thought I it is so common for women to find some kind of coping mechanism. Food is often something perfectionism, yes. right? People pleasing, becoming the perfect daughter, mother, yes. sister. Yes. Yeah. 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 People pleasing was thick in my experience. <laughs> well, and and especially when you're using it to try to distract or hide something else. You're like they can't know this about me, even exactly. if that's not conscious. Like how do I hide this part of me? Interestingly enough, I wasn't um I wasn't aware until much later of how much I just thought about sex in general. I was fascinated with sex. I had so many right. questions about sex. And I knew that it was bad and wrong. Yeah. And I knew that if people knew how much I thought about sex, mm-hmm. I would be branded a, a freak, a weirdo. And so I did the same, exactly. the same thing, like not having any, any healthy way to interact with this part of me that was very sexually curious. Yeah. And, and, so, and, healthy. Healthy. and so healthy. And so natural. Yes. Yeah. 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 Hannah, as you look back, can you recognize any of like maybe using the gym or using I'm, I, I'm, you know, tell me if that's, if that's not it, but do you see anything like that in your life as you look back? Oh yeah, for sure. It's really fun for me to hear Michelle talking because I feel like, so I'm fairly recently out. I've been out for like less than a year. Wow. So I really am loving listening to Michelle. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, okay. She's where I'm trying to get to. Like, yes. I'm loving it. I'm like finding it super healing. I like, really appreciate being able to be on the podcast. So coming back to your question. Um, yeah, there was definitely, I, I identify a lot with what Michelle was saying. It's like hyper obsessing about certain friends. Like, no, they're just like a super, 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 super special friend that I love more than literally anything in the entire world, but they're just a friend, (laughs) just a friend. (laughs) Like they're just my friend, but like I make them gifts and I take them cookies and I bring them stuff to school, but like, (laughs) so I have, over the year, like over this past year, I've been able to like look back and be like, oh, this friend when I was this age or like whatever. Um, so definitely I identify with that side of things of like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. We had some feelings there. Um, I also think that it's very interesting because I had this like crush on this boy, um, which has been very interesting looking back 
now from the time I was 13 until I got home from my mission. But I knew that this boy didn't like me back and would never, ever date me, ever. And so looking back, it's like, oh, okay. Like I knew what was going on, but I was repressing sexuality. And so I knew that if there was, if I could be in love with somebody that didn't want to be with me, then I was safe because yes. then I didn't have to confront sexuality at all. So really? yeah. looking back on that, it was really just a self-preservation thing. Um, additionally, like part of a big part of my story is my dad. My dad and I were very close. Um, very, very close. Although he was a little bit out there and we all knew he was a little out there. I was born much later in my parents' life. So I was basically raised like an only child. So I got my parents all the time. They were retired by the time I was born. So I got my parents all the time and I was really close to my dad. And my dad was extremely homophobic, like would have disowned me if he would have known mm -hmm. that I was gay. And so a big part of me waiting as long as I did until I came out is we found out that my dad had cancer and was terminal. And I was like, my dad only has so long. I'm not willing to put our relationship at risk because I know how he is. and I know that he won't accept this and I'm okay waiting a bit. Like I'm okay with waiting for a while to come out so that I don't have issues with that relationship. But um, that kind of answers your question, probably over answers your question. <laughs> no, it, it, it's perfect. And it actually just kind of segues right into what I wanted to ask next and that what was it like to come out for each of you? Michelle, you mentioned you had first to come out to yourself. Like what, what was that yeah. like for you? Well, I'll say, I'll say a couple things about that. One, one for me, a complicating factor was actually my weight because by the time I came out, I was almost 300 pounds. And I, I was confused about what that, it, it did not then look clear to me if my attraction issues were about my body stuff or about my, actually about my sexuality. So that was one, that was kind of one roadblock for me in coming out in general. Like we had a very, uh, I had a very big story around like, I, how can I know if I'm even attracted to men, if I'm in this body that feels so unattractive am I blocked? Is this purpose? You know I mean? I didn't know what was yeah. going on. So I, um, got into therapy to work through that, to, to work that out. And, um, it was, it, so coming out to myself was really a big giant task. And it took many years for me to do that. I mean, I, I had my first kind of tryst with, a with a woman and the, the effect on my nervous system, I was still in the church. In fact, I had just been released five seconds earlier from the Relief Society calling in my ward. And uh, I was, I basically shorted out. Like I lost, I kind of, my whole life kind of fell apart. We had this, I had this meeting with this woman. I fell in love with this woman and I um, ended up having a, I developed a seizure disorder, which is not uncommon. This is, I hear this all the time as a therapist. Like there's a, I literally feel like my system just was shorting out. Like there were just these two mm -hmm. sides. What it felt to me like is there were two sides of me. There was a Mormon side and a gay side. And there was no way to integrate these two parts of my yeah. life. And my nervous system was just like, okay, we're out. See ya. And I, I lost my job. I sold my house. I, I really stopped functioning for a while. I was living in the basement of a friend's house. Nobody knew where I was. It was before cell phones and all that. Um, I was in complete, the a very deep depression. And um, this was before I ever came out to anyone else. This was just the process of understanding that something might be up for me, <laughs> might be right. after I'd, you know, been having a sexual relationship with this woman. <laughs> I'm still questioning, like, I don't know, what is a pot? Maybe that's, this was, I, my brain was not giving it up, really. I mean, it took a long, it was a long, long process of, of therapy and trauma work and really doing some deep work before I could really deep, until I could understand. And what ultimately happened, I mean, the gift of all of that, like the Phoenix, the story, mm -hmm. you know, just everything burning down. So that something from that, those ashes could rise more truthful, more truthfully, more, 
uh, a, a deeper reflection of who I actually was, then I could develop something, you know? Um, so it was a very, very rough road, even in my own personal coming out process. It was not easy. I kept going back and forth. I'd, I'd go to a bishop's council and confess and, and, and go all the way back in, give me a, give me a calling. Let me be even more entrenched. How, I mean, I just didn't have a way of blending these two sides. So I was in the process of choosing one side or the other for years, really. And it was rough and it, it really took me down. Um, so after um, I lost everything, I really did kind of have to start again. At the time I was working in, in corporate America um, and I lost everything, lost my job, lost my house and ended up going to grad school and, and moved from Colorado to Salt Lake. And I was in a social work program where now people are talking about queerness like it's normal. And I was meeting queer people for the first time and there was a new conversation available which had never been available to me prior. And slowly and very quite slowly, I kind of uh, came back into more truth. But even during grad school, I was trying to get callings in my local ward and trying to, you know, I, I was still not, I mean, it was a very wobbly time for me for many, many years. And and um, I don't want to over, if I'm, cut me off if I'm talking too much. But part of it was about, really a deep belief that I would lose everything. I mean, my whole entire life had been structured around and provided by every, I mean, every social relationship, every, my family was very, very important to me. I was very, very close and uh, connected with my family. And I just didn't believe that I could be gay and in relationship with them. And I didn't know how to do life outside of Mormonism yet. I really didn't. I just didn't have I was not outside of that bubble yet. So there was a strong pull for me to stay uh, in that, just to ignore anything I needed to ignore to get back to safety is how it kind of felt to me. And then I'd be there and nope, that's not safe because I'm not, I'm not being myself. I knew that that was also not an answer. So it was a very deep and painful process for me. And, and then I came out to the people. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I have to just say, without getting into all the details, it was a very deeply spiritual experience for me to know myself, to to yeah. just, you know, um, to really experience kind of that dark night of the soul. Just like, I surrender. To, I, I don't know what to do. And to be um, met with love and answers. And when that experience, so here's the paradox, right? Every my Mormons think that I've left my spiritual life. I've left, you know, I'm I'm separated from this connection. And I, in that moment in my life, had never been more connected. I felt like I was being cradled by a God that cared about my experience. And when I had that experience, I could come out. Then I knew, yeah. okay, this is going to be painful, and people are going to be upset. And I might lose everything, and but I'm not going to lose myself anymore. I've lost all these years of putting my life on the altar. It, that thing, that's over. Now I'm going to be myself. And people are going to be upset. And and uh, they were. <laughs> that was not everyone. I mean, some people were just so beautiful. And uh, and many people in my life have had a big process, you know, that has they started in one place and are in a very different place now. But it was quite ugly for many in many different kind of ways there was abandonment there was uh anger and rage and you know all the things that i worried would happen but after having that deep experience of knowing myself it just didn't matter so much it was like okay i can be i can show up for that but i'm going to be myself i i am not going to lose myself again i just love yeah. that you said that and i i just want to clarify a few things because uh, there are some people who will be listening who are are not Mormon. And so when Michelle's talking about Relief Society, that's the organization for women, and women are called, given jobs, and your job is based on your worthiness, right? Whether or not you're following the rules. And when you break the rules, 
break the commandments, break, uh, you know, the, the Mormon expectations of behavior, you go to um, a spiritual leader called the bishop. And sometimes there is a bishop's council where your um, rule breaking is discussed. There's sometimes consequences. And so when Michelle, I just is talking about, you know, going back and forth to bishops councils, what that literally is, is sitting sometimes in a room with another man or in a room full of a bunch of other men talking about your quote unquote sins, and then waiting for them to discuss whatever um, penalties or consequences. And sometimes your jobs are taken away. Sometimes you are punished somewhat publicly. Uh, You're not allowed to do certain things or participate in certain rites and uh, processes in the church. And so, gosh, that's just, and it's a room of only men. There are no women involved in this in this process at all, just yeah, for anybody yeah. who's not familiar with the Mormon church. And so. I want to say one more thing about that, if it's okay, yeah, Sarah. Absolutely. The, the ultimate uh, reward in, in Mormonism is eternal family. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's what is being risked, right? That's the risk that when, yeah. when you t- make a decision, air quotes, to be yourself, <laughs> there's... <laughs> There's, I mean, what you're really facing is the possibility of losing your family forever. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why that moment for me was so important because I really got in that moment. That is not the way this is. There is for me, and that's, I mean, people have their own, but that, that, um, that was what I was personally up against. Like I could, I could work out some of the other details, but the idea of losing the people I loved the very most in this world was just. I was willing to do a lot of dissociation. I lived a life of dissociation. I really yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. And food was part of that. Just keep it all underground, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and whether your experience is, you know, in a conservative religious organization or or some other type of rules-based, you know, family or community group, I think we can all identify with that the threat of losing our connection, our friendships, our love, our belonging in some way, if we are true to who we know we are. And that it's just, it's terrifying. And um, gosh, thank you for, for giving us such a, a, a look into what that was like for you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hannah, tell me, uh, tell us coming out. What do you want to say? Yeah. About? Yeah, I think that Michelle and I were in like two different places, but very similar places at the same time. So I had actually left the Mormon church prior. Um, So I had left the Mormon church about two years prior. So I had, that process was hard in a different way because same thing with what Michelle was saying is if you leave, then you don't get to be with your family forever. And it's not only you that you're hurting, now your whole family knows that that you are outcast forever. So, you know, it hurts you, it hurts your family members, it hurts your friends. So this, and just to like speak to to what Michelle was saying, where um, losing people when you come out to them, I was, I mean, maybe lucky, maybe not lucky, just a different experience was all of those people had already left by the time Mm -hmm. I came out. All of the people from me leaving the Mormon church rather than coming out. So the people who were non-accepting, the people who didn't care to understand, you know, I had posted things about, you know, my my stance on abortion that is more progressive than most members of the church. I had posted things and, you know, all those types of things. All the people who, who didn't, um, who were not open-minded enough or didn't um, care enough had already left. So I was lucky in that sense because I had a lot happen all at once. Um, when I came out. So when I, it's, it's really funny because coming out to myself is totally like Michelle said, totally different than coming out to your friends and family. Um, you have, you ha- I had to like sit down and like, just sit. I remember I sat on my couch and I was like, this is real life. Like, this is something I had to set it out loud. This is real life. This is something that's happening to me, not happening to me. This is something that's happening for me to help me progress, but I don't want to, because like Michelle said, my life was over the second I said it, like the second I said, like, I'm gay. My life was going to be over because that's what I had been conditioned to believe that everything that I believed in was gone. Everything was over. And 
you know, my ex-husband was a wonderful, wonderful person. Seriously, so kind-hearted, so fun, best friend, like wonderful person. And so I was like, I'm ruining my life. I'm ruining his life. I'm ruining my parents' lives. I'm ruining my sister's life. So for me, I was taking on all this guilt and shame, which is lots of tactics that lots of high demand religions use to keep you in. And that I hadn't completely worked through all of that yet in therapy, which was totally fine because it helped where I was at. Um, but I remember thinking, I'm sure a lot of people, and maybe some people aren't familiar with, um, there's a TV show called Mormon No More. And I loved it, right? Obviously. Um, and I was listening to their podcast. And I remember I was walking on a trail in Salt Lake. I was listening to their podcast. And I remember saying to myself, like, this podcast is making me gay. And then I was like, oh, there's something there. And that's when I went home and sat on the couch and was like, okay, what's happening? Like, I've been suppressing this for so long and we're here now. So now what? So I had, you know, had conversations in my head with myself, but I'd never said it out loud. And I went out to a bar with one of my friends, actually one of my mission companions, my, my favorite mission companion, went out to a bar. We were just shooting the breeze. I had had a couple. I was a little tipsy, but I wasn't drunk. And she she was talking about her sister who's gay. And I just went, guess what? I'm gay. That was the first time I said it out loud. And I were in this little janky little bar in, you know, Holiday, Utah. I'm bawling my eyes out. Yes. I'm like, oh, oh my God. He's like, does your ex-husband know? And I was like, no. And she was like, you need to go home and talk to him. So that was quite a process. It was just him and me and my companion that knew for about a year. Wow. Um, I was, I really, really cared about this person that I was married to before. Wonderful dude. Really just think that he's awesome and that he deserves a world. Um, and so I didn't want to hurt him, but I would lay in bed next to him and think to myself, like, I wish that I was laying next to a woman, a woman, but that will never happen for me. Yeah. So yeah. we did everything we could to try to save things or save things, whatever I'm quoting for the people listening yeah. to the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but it just, I mean, when you're gay, you're gay. And when you realize it and you're okay with it, then things change. Um, and as things started to change, I started realizing like, Oh, my life isn't over. Like, I am, I am okay. Things are okay. Like, yeah, this really sucks. And it's super freaking hard. But I was feeling more like at home with myself. I was feeling more comfortable. I was feeling more confident. Um, Just all of the things that I had been just not feeling that way, because I wasn't being true to who I was or living authentically. Um, So that was a whole thing. And then coming out to my family was interesting. So my brother is not a member of the Mormon church. Um, so I came out to him first and he was like, well, duh. Like, yeah, like, of course you are. Like, he wasn't like, <laughs> like I knew, but he was like, surprised. Like, <laughs> and um, we come out to, and then my dad passed away. My family didn't know that my ex and I had separated and I wasn't ready to come out to them. So I asked him to come with me to the funeral because I didn't want to tip my family off. And he was in a place of a lot of grief and pain and anger. And he outed me to my family at my dad's funeral. So rough, really, really rough. Wow. It was a lot was... all at once. Oh, Hannah. I... I'm older. So my parents, um are in their 70s so that generation really really struggles and that's okay like that's what they were raised with they don't know any better I uh both of my parents have nine siblings so I have 157 cousins or something crazy like that and um I am the on my dad's side I am the first person to be openly out so nobody on my dad's side of the family had any experience with anybody who was queer. And so I try to have from my experience, what I have found with leaving the church with coming out with all of these things is that I want people to respect my life and 
you know, we, a lot of times we say our choices, but this, this lifestyle wasn't a choice. It was just living authentically. So it's not a choice. It's just my life. So I, I, I want for other people to have respect for my life. So I try to respect theirs as well as like beliefs and whatever. Um, so I, I have had a lot of grace. It was very hard at first because my family was not accepting. Um, it was really hard at first, but then I had to like sit down and think like, okay, like these people don't understand. Like they honest to God do not understand what's going on. And they are struggling because they don't know how to deal with this. They don't know how to cope with this. Um, my mom was the best, honestly. She she was just quiet when I talked to her about it. I was like, so like, you know, what's going on here? And uh, she was just quiet. And she goes, you know that I really love you. I know. She goes, and I don't understand this. So I think I should talk to my therapist before we have a conversation about it so that I don't say things that hurt you. And I was like, um, okay, where did that come from? So my mom has been wonderful. She tries really, really hard. I know she's so wow. uncomfortable with the whole situation, but she tries. Like with Pride last weekend, she was like, did you do anything fun for Pride? And I was like, yeah, here's some pictures. And I sent her pictures of me and my partner. And she was like, cool. And then like moved on. But like she asked. So yeah. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Wow. I mean, there will also be people listening to this podcast who will have the experience of someone that they love and know coming out to them. And I mean, yay, Hannah's mom. Let me let me not say the first thing that's coming to my mind right now. Let me do some work on this with my therapist. Let me ask you about your life and what is interesting to you. Let me ask you about what's going on and what this part of your life means for you. That's, that's really so, yeah. it's really so beautiful. It was, it was really amazing too. And then coming out to people who I knew were quite homophobic, but I, you know, wanted them to know before I like came out on social media or whatever. Um, just for those who may be like, and Michelle can probably speak to this. I learned this from my therapist. So Michelle can probably speak to this, but um, people who may be listening to the podcast who are like, want to come out, but they don't know how to do it without getting hurt. Um, because it is super emotional and super, super hard. Um, something that I did that really helped me was setting um, expectations before. So like sitting somebody down and saying, Hey, I need to tell you something important. And I need you to react like this and to not say this, and then take some time to process it. And then we can talk about it later. That helped me a ton because I could tell people like, all I need you to say is that you love me and that you care about me, and that we're good. And then you go and process it, because I've already processed it, and I'm okay. But I know that you're not going to be okay. So you need to process it on your own, because I'm not here. I don't have to hold space for you to not respect me. Yeah. One thing that both of you kind of touched on is this idea, and I think it's bigger than just conservative, you know, uh, religions like Mormonism, is this idea that our lives don't belong just to us. Mm-hmm. They are entangled <laughs> with everyone else's life and, yeah. and that our decisions uh, and, and, and some of this seems to just be true because humans are meant to exist in relationships. We're social creatures. We depend on each other for survival, for connection, love, friendship. But also I think the way that patriarchy programs women to believe that their time is not their own. Their, their energy is not their own. Their um, the effort, yeah, their bodies are not their yeah. own. And and each of you kind of touched on not only the pain of what what coming out would mean to other people, like they would now think you're not going to be in heaven with them. You're not. Um, but it's just so fascinating how. The lengths to which we are willing to go sometimes to 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 lose ourselves mm-hmm. to keep relationships. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. And how for so many women, it's like they're a ghost in their own lives. And that doesn't have anything to do with their sexuality. It just has to do with the way yeah. women are taught and trained to always be giving, always be serving, always be looking out for for the needs of other people and, and meeting those. And so that I think is, is such a common experience Mm -hmm. 
when when you decided like Michelle I will not lose myself again you know Hannah I I will be who I am mm-hmm. so many women even outside of like the the conversation about sexuality that feels so selfish to them it feels so deeply selfish to just say this is who I am and I will be known I will be treated with respect I will have space for who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that? What is that? What does that bring up for you, Michelle? Oh, so much. I mean, I think exactly what you're saying about how just how deeply entrenched that conditioning is, and it starts so early. I mean, it's it, it's not it's not conscious. It's like fish in water. We don't know that that is what we're experiencing. It's so thick in the culture that we don't know that that's what's going on until we do. And I think the way we find that out is we suffer. I mean, there's some kind of, there's a deep experience of suffering, which is beautiful. That's the beautiful design. That's the design, right? That's the thing that brings us home to ourselves. It's like something is off here. But I think that for me, what what part of what comes up for me as you're talking is just the word authority keeps coming in. Like there is no, in my experience, I did not learn until I was on my knees in in complete surrender to the suffering I was in that I had any right to even, it's like it had everything to do with everyone else. It was my parents' pain would just stop the process every single time. The idea that, that I would, you know, complicate the, the lives of my family members or my friend, whatever it was, it just would stop so, I mean, I, for me, it's just a recognition of what you're saying, Sarah, like the, that deep, really in my cells experience of this has nothing to do with you and what you want. You don't have the authority to know yourself and to claim yourself and to have the life that you want to have until I was in enough pain to wake up to that. And I think that's where, I mean, in some ways, I I have such a deep gratitude for this particular um, struggle in my life, because I think sometimes I think if I was, if it was any less painful than that, for me, I may have just hung out in those margins for a a long time. And I think, you know, so for me, I think I had to, it brought me into that deeper understanding of who I am and what do I have a right to, where, where is my own sovereignty as a human being apart from this system that says we will tell you who to be and how to think and and how to navigate anything that comes up here's your here's the program here's the thinking i mean i didn't really know how to think on my own i mean just aside from queerness i was i remember being in a philosophy class after my mission so i'm like a junior in college and i was i was like oh my gosh my brain is being rewired right now. Like it was the first time in my life I really understood critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Like if this, then that, and there's a way to actually, and to use myself as a resource. I didn't, I did not, I did not have that uh, capacity. I always had the capacity. I didn't have, I didn't know that I had that capacity yet until I was 20, whatever, after my minutes, like 23 years old. And I was like, wait a second. I can decide on my own, given my own thinking and my own feeling and what feels right to me, this human being. I mean, it was, I, so I I think what I want to say is just yes to everything you said in every one of those categories and more, you know, and I'll add a category, which is that I didn't feel like I had the right to even think like thinking was also off limits if it didn't match the programming. Yeah. So I was afraid of my own thinking. I was afraid even in my, if if I was in my bedroom by myself thinking so-and-so was uh, someone I wanted to be close to, even just without even knowing what I meant by that, there was um, a violation. There was an experience of having violated something outside of me by having that internal thought. I mean, you know, it runs very deep. It runs very, very deep. And, and I think I, it runs deep in general for every woman in the, in, especially in the Western world, but, you know, but yeah. and you add these layers, you know. I just want to say one thing about 
that pain that you mentioned, because that is where I see so many, you know, people that I have worked with as, as a coach and, and friends that I've had the pain of not being able to be the authority in your own life, the pain of having to pretend and perform. I, to me, what it comes down to is if you are in that pain long enough, sometimes you decide I, I would rather be dead. Yes. I, I can't continue to live like this. And I, that to me is, um, if, if that is, you know, if someone's listening to this and that is their experience, I just, I would want them to know yes. that, that that pain is pointing you in the direction yes. of, of freedom. And we'll link yeah, to please. some, some um, resources for that in the show notes. Cause I'm so um, aware of, of, of how that, that pain just becomes so unbearable. But mm-hmm. Hannah, I also want to know like what, what came up for you as we were, you know, kind of talking about these ideas. Yeah, it's really interesting. The authority thing. Um, I almost went home from my mission because of that. I I almost went I almost went home a lot of times for asking questions that I shouldn't have asked, actually. Um, I got in trouble a lot for doing things that I wasn't supposed to do, um, which was like helping a member of the church instead of knocking on doors were the types of things I was getting in trouble with. Um, but I remember I almost went home from my mission uh, and just background for people who who don't know how a Mormon mission works. It's 18 months to two years. Um, when I was on a mission, it was different when Michelle was on a mission. But when I was on a mission, you could call your family on Mother's Day and Christmas um, and you could email them on Monday. And that was it. And the rest of the time, you're trying to bring people into the fold of the church, not the fold of Jesus, but the fold of the Mormon church, um, which I didn't agree with. Um, and so I actually almost went home because of praying, because we prayed about everything. And I was like, I don't get to make any decisions for myself, because every single decision we prayed about, everything, like you wake up, you pray. You go to eat your breakfast, you pray. You go to study your scriptures, you pray. You get done studying your scriptures, you pray. You're going to study with your companion, you pray. You're going to pray during the study, then we're going to pray after. And then it would be like knocking on a door. Pray before you knock on the door. Pray after you knock on the door. And I was like, I am not, uh, I have in, in the church, in the Mormon church, they teach um, agency, which is the power to choose for yourself. And I was like, this is not that. <laughs> like, I have no choices here. Um, we're just blindly following something that we think maybe could be possibly God telling us to go knock on this door. It's actually a crack house and they're going to try to rape us. Like, that, what was even happening there? And so I, like, really resonate with that, like, not having authority in my own life. And I feel that because of the conditioning and and a lot of um, a lot of high-demand religions, I would say most, are this way. There's a lot of fear that if you do make choices for yourself, that they'll be wrong. They're going to be wrong. And then you're going to, you're going to suffer for it and your family's going to suffer for it. And you're going to ruin everybody's lives around you. Um, which is super unfortunate because that's not how it works at all. I think that unfortunately, um, social media is really awesome, but unfortunately right now I find it very polarizing between people who are, um, in high demand, um, Christian religions and those who have left, um, you get the, the extremes of both ends instead of the majority of people who are in the middle, like I respect what you believe as long as you respect what I believe and we're cool. Um, which is unfortunate that that that's kind of where we're at. And I understand, you know, there are things that need to be brought to attention and things that, that we need to fight for. Um, but allowing those around me to see that I have made choices, decisions in my life and that I'm a different person, like physically, just like how I look, how I act, how much happier I am. Like I'll say most of my family thought that I was going to fall apart when I came out. They're like, Hannah is a loose cannon. She is going to lose it. Like Mm -hmm. she's going to lose it. And they're all like, like she's doing really good and she's super happy and she doesn't call me crying every day anymore like every three days now but um 
it's just been really um, liberating to be able to experience that um, and to um, show up for people in my friend groups and my family who may not have any sort of representation. Um, representation is a huge deal. And that's why people are like, well, why does it even matter if you're out, blah, blah, blah? Well, because representation matters. Um, there was a sister from my mission. Um, when you go on a mission, they call you sister, whatever your last name is. There was a sister from my mission who came out and that was a big moment for me. I was like, oh my gosh, like there's somebody like me. Like there is somebody who is just like me. And now I have a community and I hadn't had any community before that. And I didn't feel yeah. safe at all before that. So representation is super, super important. I didn't even realize when I was you know, asking both of you to be on the podcast that you would represent kind of this beautiful spectrum of like, I just came out in the last year, right? right? And Michelle, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Kathy. We have two children together. I have, li- I have been living this, this life for, for so long now. So what advice would each of you give to someone who is in I don't want to say necessarily your, your position, but who's experiencing, who, who resonates with some of the things that you're saying, either like, oh shit, there's, there's something, (laughs) there's something else here, or I don't know that I am just straight. Mm -hmm. Michelle, what would you offer? And then Hannah. Oh, um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is you are not alone. There's, there's Mm -hmm. a, you don't have to do this by yourself anymore. I think there was a time that maybe we did kind of have to navigate these paths alone. I see my my pioneer uh, spirit, like my Mormon pioneer. You know, I I did I, same for like Hannah. I was the the only person I knew, and the only person in my family. And I do feel like I kind of had to forge that path, but it's not really that way anymore. I mean, there are so many resources. I'm one of them. I see so many people who are in particular uh, gay Mormons, you know, who are who are navigating that particular arena. And there's so many people that that are now so accessible globally and on Zoom. And, you know, you can you and who are doing stuff in nonprofits. So if you can't afford it, there's it's you can find somebody to help. There's community. But I think the deeper I think the most important, maybe the bigger message is. Um, about following yourself. You know, there is no queer experience that is a universal experience. So getting support so that you can have your own experience and have that supported and reflected back and have someone with you, whether it's a friend or a community member or a coach or a therapist or whatever, um, you know, holding space for you to have your own process. That's really, that's the thing that I would say is the very most helpful thing that there's not a, there's no path. There's no particular path. It's a pathless path. It's the brick that lights up next in front of you. And it's going to be different for every single person, but the process of reclaiming your own feelings and your own questions and being in your own confusion and being in, you know, nobody, nobody can do that, that path for you. And there's such power and, um, a sacredness in taking that and walking that path on, on your own and you don't have to do it by yourself. So it's, it's a, uh, I would just say, and the other thing I would say is take it easy. Like be there's a, there can be a playfulness with this, even when the stakes are high, even when you're married to a, a man or a woman, even if there's a, something that looks like it's a high stake situation, which it will, that's the, that's the path for so many of us. Um, even then to just own your own inner experience and not give a lot of pressure to like making a decision and this has to be said, and I have to come out before I'm ready and all of that. Like you get to decide every step of the way, what that looks like and what your boundaries are. And that's that part of that sovereignty that I'm talking about. Even in the queer community, we'll hear people saying, you got to come out. You got to come out. No, you don't. You don't have to come out until you are absolutely ready. There, there is, this is about safety and, and calming your own nervous system and figuring out what 
And we all know that there, every one of us knows what that path looks like for ourselves. So trusting yourself. And uh, I think that's the, almost the bigger path is coming back home to who we actually are. Now, what, whatever the details are, will work themselves out, but kind of re uh, returning this deep reunion with the self that has been, you know, uh, whether intentionally or not kept away from you, you know, as part of this, you know, uh, conditioning. What I, I just love about what you said is that, you know, I, I went through a similar, um, period of change in coming home to myself. And my discovery was I want to work. I don't want to be a stay at home mom. And so it, Yes, we are highlighting, you know, women's voices and women's experience with with their sexuality. But what you just said applies to any kind of look, I I think I want to pivot. I think I want to do something else, whether it's explore this, these feelings and and be curious and imaginative about my sexuality or or my romantic relationships, my romantic partnerships. Or I think I want to work. I I, I don't want to be home with kids all day. And so I. I so appreciate that. Yes, I love Hannah, that. Hannah, what, what about you? Yeah, I think uh, my word, mantra, whatever you want to call it, has been authenticity. So whatever that looks like, you know, there are going to be people listening who are like thinking about coming out, thinking about changing their life in some way. It doesn't matter what it is, any sort of life change, um, like giving yourself permission to make correct decisions. Like you make correct decisions for your life period. Whether or not you think that the outcome is the right outcome or the best outcome, it doesn't matter. You make correct decisions for your life. That's just period. And trusting yourself that you are capable of making correct decisions for your life is a total game changer, total game changer. Um, and showing up for yourself, that was, um, that was a big, theme over pride weekend because this was my first time being out so like amazing right it was like the best weekend of my entire life I'm still high from it um and so that was a big topic for me of just like show up for yourself you don't have to show up for your boss you don't have to show up for your mom you don't have to show up for this or that or whatever um but you do have to show up for yourself because at the end of the day it's just you you're just stuck with you you're the only person you're really stuck with I can't speak to having kids because I don't have kids, but on, you know, the single don't have kids side of things, the only person you have to show up for is you. And whether that's coming out, whether that's changing careers, whether that's just making major life decisions, you get to decide and you get to thrive in those decisions, whether you think they're correct or not. If you made the decision, like being authentic and true to yourself, it's correct. Maybe it didn't have the outcome that you wanted, but it's the correct decision for your life. Um, and I think that that's like probably the biggest thing that I have really worked through this year is like, I make correct decisions for my life. So powerful. Gosh, it's just the ability to trust yourself to handle whatever happens. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to make the best decision that I know how to make. I make correct decisions. I make good decisions. And if it goes North, South, East, or West, I'm going to be able to figure that out too. There isn't a limitation on my authority, my imagine, my imagination, problem solving, you know, powers. And I just thank you both so much for being willing to talk about this process um, from, you know, such beautifully different, but also so much the same, you know, vantage points. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you'd, you'd like to make sure gets said? Michelle, we'll start with you. I'll just say, I am living the life of my dreams. I mean, that's what I want to say. We've had some some focus on on the struggle. (laughs) I mean, yes, I, I mean, yes, that is all so true. I am living a life I had absolutely no idea was possible for me. I got, I thought you can't have love. You can't have children. You can't have family. You can't have the body you want. You can, I mean, I am, I am living the life of my dreams. I have the most incredible relationship of 18 years with my wife that is about the easiest, most glorious experience of relationship. I did not know that was possible. 
<laughs> I have two healthy, beautiful boys that are so proud of their family. They are just, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I have a career that had everything to do with coming home to myself. I never would have thought I was going to be able to, I had to know myself in order to do the work that I do and, uh, and no struggle and no suffering. And I just want to say, I, I had an experience a few, a few um, months ago where I kind of in my, in a meditation, went to the bedside of the woman who was depressed in that basement and just had this incredible conversation with her and got to say to her, this is the life you get. Like, thank you. Deep bow of gratitude for all the suffering. And what you get is everything you ever wanted by being true to yourself. And that just continues to unfold in my life. My life is unbelievable. The people in my life, the opportunities, the friendship, I've got money. I've, I've got a, I'm, I'm in a thin body. I mean, everything I could have ever wanted is what my life looks like now. And so I want to, I want to, I want people to hear that too. I'm so, so glad you said that because there, there are so many voices of, of struggle yeah. and we, we need to hear those voices, Yeah, yeah. but we also need to hear the joy. Yeah, totally. And my life is so joyful. Yeah. I Obviously. love hearing Michelle hear that. Cause I'm on the opposite side of things. I'm in, I'm in the like, Oh my God, this is so hard right now. <laughs> so I love hearing it. I'm like, okay, like I'm going to be okay. Like it's going to be okay. And I, I want to speak to that as well. Like I'm only like a year into being out and like just speaking to like things get better and it's not going to be as bad as you think. Like it's not going to be as bad as you think. People are not going to react as terribly as you think they are. Like the most homophobic people still will be like, okay, but like you're still my friend friends so how do I deal with this so it's not as it's not as bad as you think it's gonna be is probably the only thing else that I have to say is it's not as bad as you think you are hyping it up in your brain to be way worse than it's actually gonna be Mm, that's so Hannah thank you for saying that Michelle if people want to find out about working with you about uh tell tell them how where they can find you I mean, probably the best, the most direct thing is just to send an email to me, which I'll, I, I'll just say it's Michelle call C C A L L L C S W at gmail.com. So three L's at the end there. I miss a lot of emails this way. Michelle call L C S W at gmail.com. I'll, I'll make sure that that, that gets in the show notes too. I mean, I just so listeners know, I had this idea I was like, I wonder if anybody would have this conversation with me. Michelle and I have have been, you know, Facebook friends for a while and I've had a couple of conversations. Um, and I just posted in a couple of groups and I could not have chosen just better guests with 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 so much to offer. I'm just so grateful because I'm so um aware of um of how open and vulnerable, you know, both of you have have been in letting us see kind of the inside workings of this. And I'm, I'm just so, so grateful. Thank you both. So thanks for having us. Seriously. It was amazing. Yeah. Thanks for even wanting to have this conversation. That is, I know. Well, I, I hope if you are listening to this and you have some questions about what it's like to be gay, there's lots of resources out there for you. I'll link to some of my, my favorites and what I will share as a person who um, has, I, I really credit. So my brother-in-law came out in 1999, you know, before I was even married to my now husband and just mulling over his experience was enough to open my mind up and, and proximity is everything. So if you have listened to this podcast and you have some questions or you're wondering about how can I better understand the queer experience? Find a friend. Just make, ask. Make, just ask. Make a, a queer friend because proximity changes everything. So I thank both of you so much for giving us that uh, experience today. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening. If this podcast has been helpful to you, I would really appreciate it if you would give me a five-star rating in whatever 
platform you listen to your podcasts. And if you go to my website, sarahfisk.coach, you can sign up there to receive my emails. Right now I'm taking private one-to-one clients who want my help speeding up this work in their own lives. I really hope to provide a lot of free information on my website and in my podcast for people to do this work on their own. But if you're interested in having a coach like me to help you implement these things faster, to find the blind spots and obstacles that you're not aware of, go to my website and sign up for a consult. That's a time when you and I can get on Zoom and talk about the particulars of your situation, and I can show you how I could be helpful. The second thing you can do on my website is sign up for a freebie that I have called Difficult Conversations. Having a conversation that seems like it's going to be hard or difficult is one of the things that people pleasers struggle with. And so I've created a whole guide for you to be able to do that with some more confidence. That will also get you signed up for information about my group program, Stop People Pleasing, which is coming again at the end of April, beginning of May. And it's a group coaching program where you join a community of women just like you who are struggling to overcome perfectionating and people pleasing. And we do it together in a group. It's a really amazing opportunity to not just learn from your own experience, but just to see how similar you are to so many other women out there. The healing and the challenging and the laughing and the growth that happens in that beautiful community of women is really amazing. And if it's interesting to you, I would love for you to know about it. Thanks again for listening.